this is Perspectives, the show where a conversation about our differences will often show us how much we really have in common. I'm Condis Presley, and my guest is Dolores Jordan. She's the older sister of, yeah, you guessed it, icon basketball legend Michael Jordan. Ms. Jordan has turned her pain into her purpose. She now travels the country giving talks that inspire others. Her book is Please Don't Jump. You are stronger than your situations. Um, Michael's four years younger than me. So um, by the time Michael came into the NBA, I had already, you know, confronted some issues and were already dealing with some things um, in my own personal life. And then he became um, such a great player in the NBA and that brought on all the public notoriety and all the public, you know, acclamations and expectations. So for me personally, someone that was already struggling in life and um, did not necessarily know how to maneuver with some of the issues that I had already experienced. So by the time Michael got in the NBA, it just brought on, uh, it just exasperated some things for me. And what I thought my way to escape it all, because I couldn't, I didn't think I could deal with any of it. Well, I knew I couldn't deal with any of it without it having repercussions and without it affecting the family as a whole. And, you know, not strong enough, not knowing how, um, lack of knowledge, lack of strength, uh, lack of courage. You know, it was so many things I lacked that I just thought, you know, killing myself was the easiest way. And so I know, I see that look on your face because of all of the attention that was that was coming your brother's way or what? Well, what you're saying? well, some of my issues and one of my issues, one of my greatest issues had was being that I had been sexually abused by my father from age eight to 16. So when you say starting of age eight, Michael's four, you start, you know, I'm telling my mom at age 16, Michael's 12. So there is no Air Jordan on the horizon that we can see. And, you know, it wasn't dealt with then, you know, there was no therapy that was, you know, so often as parents, because children didn't come with manuals. So a lot of times we think we do what we think, you know, will work. Uh, and in my case, it was, we're not going to talk about it, you know, so not choosing to not talk about it, choosing to not get me any help to understand it, sent me, you know, into adulthood, taking all of that baggage with me. My parents didn't want to deal with it then. There was no way that I'm going to deal with it now that my brother was, you know, we were in more of a limelight, whatever. So, and honestly, I, I didn't know how to deal with it. So I thought the easiest thing for me was to, to escape it all, you know, and so that's why suicide looks so attractive to me. I didn't know anything else. And, you know, we're talking about like now abuse is very much talked about. But in my day, nobody talked about it. And there you didn't I didn't know where to go. And, and I don't even know um, if I knew right at that young age to go anywhere. I don't know that I would have out of the fact that my parents are strong disciplinarians. And, you know, it kind of stay what you know, we, we often say what goes on in our home stays in our home. But what I've come to realize is some things goes on that we're not qualified to handle. And so I am an advocate for going to therapy, going to find, reaching out. You know, in my case, I, at one point, I reached out to the um, local hospital, emergency room, you know, uh, and I didn't know what that was going to bring with it. 
but I was desperate enough for somebody to help me. So I get to now, at this point in my life, I get to take all of my experiences and speak hope and help and you know encouragement into other people who may find themselves faced with my issues or just life in general. Life is gonna throw curves at you almost every day. And, you know, and not all of us will know how to endure them, confront them, overcome them. So I get to, to use my voice to remind, you know, everyone that God was so purposeful in giving us life. You know, that's what I came to realize with all the times that he interrupted my suicide efforts. He, I, I became so desperate to find out why he was keeping me. What did he see in me that I didn't see in myself? What value did he see in me? Because I didn't think I had it. And Dolores, you said that on multiple occasions, you spoke to your mother about this abuse and she did not react the way you would have expected her to? Well, I actually told my mom at age 16 in in anger and she um, put me in front of my father and made me repeat my revelations in front of my father. And he confessed, you know, so, and from that, you know, I didn't know what to expect because of course my father had always said that if I shared the information that I would, and the family broke up, I would be the reason the family broke up. So of course I was scared of that. But um, when I did tell my mom, um, she, like I said, she confronted my father. She had me confront my father in her presence. He confessed. And then later they had a conversation and the conversation was of such that my mom came in my bedroom and said um, that my father thought he was helping me, but in light of the situation, the three of us could no longer live there. And since I had two more years of school, she thought it best to put me in a girl's home. Now, ultimately, I didn't go in a girl's home, but I think the reason why they didn't put me in a girl's home, because it would have opened up more questions. Because she also told me that day that I was no longer, I could never mention it, discuss it, or bring it up again. My parents were very established in their family and in their prospective family. So I think to um, have sent me away would have raised more questions. And so I was there. And so, and this is happening at 16. So I got pregnant on purpose. Um, and I had, you know, what drove my mom and my argument that particular day that led me to getting, um, getting, telling her in anger was that I had already been pregnant and she forced me into having an abortion. And so it, so out of anger, my mom was doing what she wanted to do. My dad was doing what he wanted to do it just all balled up and, 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 and it came out. I read that on three separate occasions, you attempted to take your own life. Is that correct? That is, that's correct. And yet here we sit today, many, many years later, having a conversation. To what do you attribute that? Oh, without a doubt, God. Without a doubt, without a doubt, God. At what point in your life was the hurt that you experienced turned into healing to the point where now you're writing books, you're speaking and encouraging others, you're talking with us today. Telling myself always looked like my way of taking me out of the equation so the family don't have, I don't have to be a reminder of what's wrong. I don't have to be 
a remind my mom vilified me on so many ways. So I don't want to, I didn't want to be a reminder to her either. And, you know, and that I came to recognize that when my husband was unfaithful to me, every time I saw that woman, it took me back to that pain. So I imagine that every time my mom saw me, it would take her back to that pain. And, and we would have our good periods and then other times they would be not so good. And so I just wanted to escape it all. And so once I found out that I couldn't, God kept bringing me back, I challenged God. If you won't let me die, then show me how to live because I don't know how to live this life. And that became a turning point of me deciding I wouldn't try to kill myself anymore. So it just started my march forward to try to understand, to see what he saw in me that I didn't see in myself. How did you react when you lost your father in such a tragic and violent way? And what are your thoughts on it today as an adult who has taken such a negative and turned it into something good for the community? Well, you know, I, I was still, despite what my father had done to me, I was still a daddy's girl. I had been a daddy's girl all my life. I didn't know how, he was the only parent that nurtured or even attempted to nurture me. And um, so, you know, you kind of cling to the person who makes you feel the most loved. And so even though I didn't understand and when I got old enough to understand what he had done, um, didn't like it. And I was always torn. There was a part of me that was torn because there was a father that I loved. And then there was a father that took my virginity. And I didn't, they seemed like two different people to me because the father who came at nighttime seemed, um, he seemed lost. He, my daytime father would have never did that to me. That's because he seemed so stern and matter of factly and, you know, um, encouraging and supportive for the family as a whole. So it, so, so there was always a, a, a confusion in me as to how my strong dad could do that to me. And, and then, you know, you personalize it because you say, well, what did I do to make him think it was all right? You know, yeah, I was glad to see him and I always had hugs and kisses for him and always, you know, knew he always told me how much he loved me and I, I, that I, I relished. But where in there did it seem like it was, so, you know, you personalize that, you take it for, you know, what did I do? And, and so, and then on the other side of that, you say, as far as my mom, what about me? Did you find hard to love, you know? And, and so, and my mom and I have had indifferences, I mean, from almost birth, you know, she left me for the first four years with my grandparents, my parental grandparents. So, um, so the, I don't think we ever had the bonding. I bonded with my dad, I bonded with my grandparents. Um, so when I, when my dad got killed, I was, oh, greatly hurt because my grandparents had both died. And so, now, you know, the people that I felt I was closest to, God had taken. So I really saw myself asking God a lot of days, like, well, what happens to me now? Because my dad is gone, my grandparents have gone, and I'm 
I'm stuck with somebody who don't really care about me. So what happens to me? So, you know, you take all of that, you know, all of that made, made me, it was all jump. And in the mean, in the meantime, I'm a mother of two children. I'm a wife. I became a wife for the second time. And yet none of my issues had been resolved. And so, um, so it just seemed like it was, and my brother was becoming more and more popular. My parents were becoming, in my father's death, you know, he became very, he was popular before, he became very popular, you know, my mom. And so nobody had a problem but me. So if I can get away, then everybody else can breathe. That was just what I thought. Dolores, clearly your faith has been your salvation and has kept you strong through everything you've experienced. Can you tell us if you and when you sought out help, where you're helping oh. others? Oh, wow. So I first sought out therapy at age 25. I had been in a three-week funk of crying and I couldn't put my crying in words, but I needed, I know I needed help. So I called the emergency room and I just asked them, could somebody please help me? I need help. And, and so the, the nurse there asked me, um, who answered the phone, asked me, did I think I was, was I suicidal? And I said, well, I think about killing myself every day. And so that immediately put a psychiatrist on the phone and and you know they walked me through, and so he says, "Well, let me reserve a bed here for you." Or he said, "Come to the hospital; we can help you." And I'm like, "I can't come to the hospital. You don't know who my family is. I can't. You know, we're a little small town. Um, we were probably the biggest news in the town." And so I said, "I can't do that. Can you tell me what to do?" And so. You know, I'm thinking, tell me what to do home. Like, I can't come to the hospital. But he says, well, if you find that you can't um, handle it, I'll reserve a bed here. And, you know, if you, if you choose to come, it'll be waiting for you. And one of the things that I struggle with sometimes going to bed was I would hear my dad crazy, but I would hear my dad whispering in my ear, you're a beautiful girl. Daddy loves you. Daddy's here for you. And so you kind of hate to go to bed, you know? And so um, that night I just said, I don't want to deal with those voices. I don't want, I just knew I needed help. So I ultimately went to the emergency room. Especially, I have no idea what I expected, but I, I was desperate. And so you do desperate things when you're desperate. And so when I went in, they did he had a uh, bed was waiting I didn't you know I didn't know they you know they I'm on the floor that they put the, the, the press board and as my friend is getting ready to leave the bars come down and I remember him standing there crying saying please don't make me leave you here but I knew even in that level of brokenness I was where I needed to be and so it, that what that one experience showed me, and it's one of the things that my nonprofit, Let's Start a Conversation, is based off of, it is that's the first time I saw any abused people. That's the first time I knew what you to realize you weren't it. the only one. Yeah, I wasn't the only one, knew what to call it, because I didn't know what to call it at that point. And there was 
a whole floor of hurting people. And one of the things that the that being there required me to do was go to group therapy every morning. And so I got to sit in and I got to hear other people talk about how empty they felt, how lost they felt, how unloved, how confused, you know, what it what having that experience had done to them. So I learned I wasn't the only one. That's what my let's start a conversation. I go into communities and I jumpstart conversations of hope. I use everything that I have to engage them in conversation. I'm not trying to judge them. I'm not trying to heal them either because I'm not, I don't have that ability to do that, but I am trying to be a living testament that it's okay to acknowledge you need help. It's okay to talk about what, what hurts and we are more alike than we are different. And so, you know, with the Michael Jordan, you know, this family that I so badly did not want to be in, didn't know how to be a part of and tried everything to not be a part of, it provides me the platform to go into the communities and to talk and engage and to be a testament to the ability to survive our dark places. Yeah. And then to, to really learn how to thrive with taking the, the experience, the experience, my experience, my whole life has taught me to look at my glass half full versus half empty. Um, coming, my faith helped me tremendously to understand that God is so intentional and purposeful when he gives life. It's not an accident. God is not an accidental God. And, and he never gives life or create anything that doesn't have a purpose. So for me, I had to tap back into him because nobody else could tell me what my purpose was. They could only tell me what their opinion of my purpose is. But God could tell me exactly why he not only was keep, he gave me life. He was keeping me here. He chose the family. He gave me the strength to survive because in my family, um, because the you're stronger than your situation came by God. When I was whining and I was asking him, why do you keep bringing me back? And I don't understand what you want. And what did I do to deserve this life? You know, Lord, you didn't have any other families you could put me in other than Michael Jordan's family. You own all the families in the world, you know. And he says, the Lord, you're not lost to me. I know exactly where I put you. I also know that you're stronger than your situation. So there's some doors I want you to go through that I don't want you to fight to get through. So I send your brother ahead of you. But when you go, you take me with you. And so I get it now, but man, I, it took me a long time to get here. Firstly, I am so blessed to have been given another chance to live. I'm just so grateful that even though I got up off of that hospital bed mad, I'm grateful that God didn't give up on me. That's what, yeah. In your book, you're stronger than your situations as you've already shown us in our conversation. You're stronger than your situations. Please don't jump. What do you want the reader to know? I want the reader to know that, yes, your life may be difficult. Yes, it sometimes will feel like God has forgotten you or that God doesn't know you. But I want you to know that God knows you. 
He gave you life on purpose. And as hard as it may be to believe right now, because again, our pain, you know, um, blinds us to some truths. He has a phenomenal future for you. I would challenge you to get to learn what that future is. I could have never, nobody would have ever told me that today I would feel so grateful to be alive. You know, nobody, I could, when I was in my pain, I didn't see it. So the please don't jump is saying you're standing on the edge, you know, or you, or even, you know, life in general, you don't have to be contemplating suicide. You know, you want to give up on your marriage. You want to give up on your child. You want to give up on your dream. You want to give up on the future that you kind of believe at one point you want it. And so easily that's enough happening to make you want to just jump off the edge, give, put it down, walk away from it. And I'm telling you that you're stronger than all those things that's trying to steal your joy. You're stronger than all those things that's trying to steal your dreams. Um, and I, I want you to back away from that edge. Don't give up change the narrative for how you see your life don't just see it as burdensome mm -hmm. i when i start to look at even when i'm hitting my difficult moments i am saying okay lord what am i supposed to learn from this because ultimately he's taking me somewhere or there's a lesson in it or and a lot of times i'm gonna meet somebody where I get to sow a seed into their spirit by an experience I just came out of. And so it's never wasted. It just, sometimes our, our lessons don't feel good. Yeah. Um, but here's the thing, I truly do not believe and nobody can convince me that Jesus being on the cross felt good. So it would be really, wrong of us to think that we could go through life and not have hiccups and not have dif difficult moments. And we do ourselves a great disservice if all we see them for is the negatives. You know, looking at them from the positive lessons that may be coming from it. No, it may not feel good. But I guarantee you that if you start looking at it from what you're gleaning from the moment and not just what the moment is inflicting on you, it will change how you view the moment. That's, that's what I see. How would you describe your relationship with your brothers and sister today? Strained, um, very much strained. Um, for the mere sake that my mother and I never have worked through our issues. We just haven't, and you know, and I don't force her to anymore. I mean, you know, there are difficult issues and not everybody know how to deal with them. And I, not everybody choose the same path that I chose. And, and so, and I sometimes think my siblings are put in the middle and having to choose size and it's their mother, you know? So, you know, I love them and I'm here. I'm, I can't be too, I can't be, I can't stop talking about my life. I can't stop using my life for the good that can be that can be you know harvested from it and yet when i talk about my life my life is a, also a reflection on their life uh, i look forward to the day when we can talk to groups of people collectively about our life lessons and all and they can glean from all of us 
different experiences. Well, we will all pray for that for you and your family too. Uh, thank you, Dolores Jordan, for sharing your story, for being so transparent and so open. Uh, the book is You Are Stronger Than Your Situations. Please don't jump. Uh, life learning testimonial from Dolores E. Jordan. Thank you for spending some time with us today. Thank you for having me. God bless. Perspectives is a community and public affairs program crafted with you in mind. If there's a guest you'd like to hear interviewed or a perspective you think should be explored, let me know. If you're old school, just write me. 1601 West Peachtree Street, Northeast, Atlanta, Georgia, 30309. Or message me via social media. I'm Condis Presley on Facebook, Condo29 on Twitter and Instagram. Thanks for listening. Be sure to listen again next week at this very same time as we examine another perspective. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.